it's during those difficult periods, I think, when culture is just critical. I, I think it's very hard for an organization to make it through those types of challenging periods if there's not a strong culture, because that's a key thing, I think, that people believe in and they want to stick around and they want to fight it out and get to the other side. And without that, I think it would be incredibly hard. Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. This podcast focuses on exemplary leadership, the type of leadership that brings about positive, meaningful change in places that matter. We explore how these leaders make things happen and the lessons they learned along the way. I'm your host, Leanne Mallory. Hey folks, I'm so glad that you're here today. This is a great conversation between self-proclaimed culture enthusiast, Drew Clancy of PCI and myself. I do have a confession to make before we get started though, and that is that I forgot to plug in this fancy microphone that I'm using right now. So you will notice that my audio quality is pretty tinny. You can hear it just fine. It's just not very great quality. Also want to take the opportunity to remind you to check the show notes for links to the corporate Adesis lifecycle, which we talk about briefly, and also the agenda for the stand-up meetings that Drew uses at PCI, which is a really important part of their regular rhythm. Thank you again for listening, and here we go. Today, I'm very excited to be talking with Drew Clancy, who's president of Publishing Concepts, or PCI. Drew's pulling off achievements that many businesses have not been able to navigate. Here's some examples. He's leading a company or a version of the company that was started by his grandfather almost 100 years ago. He's successfully navigating the huge disruption of the print to digital world. He's proving that servant leadership and rigor can happily coexist. And PCI consistently shows up on best places to work list demonstrating an ongoing commitment to culture. And I'm hoping that's what we spend most of our time talking about today because Drew has such amazing passion around this. So Drew's doing beautiful work at PCI, and I predict that we're all going to learn a lot today. And a lot of the lessons will come just from experiencing his humility and his passion. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Drew, thank you for agreeing to be a guest. Ah, it's great to be great to be here. Why don't we just start with an explanation of what publishing concepts is in the first place so that we have a kind of paint a picture and set a context for the company that you're leading? Absolutely. So, uh, Leanne, as you mentioned, we are a, a third generation family business. We work with colleges, universities, service organizations, and that includes military organizations, organizations like the Boy Scouts, Masonic organizations, really anyone with a membership, as well as uh, high schools, public and private high schools who have alumni. And our work is really, we're passionate about helping them engage their membership and hopefully raise a little money. We have kind of one principal offering, which are print and digital directories, And we also market apparel, so branded apparel 
for our clients. So that is, that's kind of the high level what we do. Thank you. So let's jump into the history because that's one of the things that I think is really interesting is that you're almost a hundred years old and you've had different iterations of the business and ownership models and all of that. And yet you're so strong right now. So under your leadership, the company has taken on a whole new life. So let's spend just a little bit of time hearing about that. Sure. Well, my grandfather, my dad, and I, I think are or were uh, all entrepreneurial, entrepreneurs. And you mentioned actually our, our founding goes back to 1921 when my grandfather was in his 20s Gosh. and began you know, what became the nation's first alumni directory publishing company. It was called the Rockwell F. Clancy Company. And that company existed for almost 50 years. And interestingly, you're talking about sort of family businesses. So my dad, who was 11 and 12 years younger than his older brother and sister, after my grandfather died, you know, long story short, and again, this was when I was very little, so I don't have any personal knowledge of this, but my understanding is, you know, essentially the siblings didn't get along all that well, (laughs) which ended up they decided to sell the business. And so my dad stayed with the business, went to work for the acquiring company. My uncle, who was also active in the business, exited at that time. And there was about a 10-year period beginning in the early 1970s until 1982, when my dad refounded what we call publishing concepts or PCI, where he was still doing the same type of work, but doing it for other organizations. Uh, he worked for Marcus Who's Who in Chicago, actually, for a period of time, yeah. then moved to Dallas uh, with a company called Taylor Publishing. That's what brought our family when I was 11 in 1977 to Dallas. And uh, But five years after moving to Dallas, he, again, as I mentioned, he was an entrepreneur and started Publishing Concepts PCI. And it's interesting, you know, nine out of 10... Actually, I think it's more than nine out of 10 <laughs> new, new ventures fail, right? It's a uh, very, very hard to get a new business up and running. Lots of, lots of obstacles, lots of things have to go well. And my dad, unfortunately, who's deceased now, but he was, he was a real dynamo. And he, was, he had, I think, the perfect personality to start a business. I mean, he, he wanted to make every decision. He was involved in every detail. He had just a passion for excellence and doing things right and got PCI up and running you know, from 1982. Unfortunately, some of uh, those things, personality characteristics, which are great to start a business, had a, unfortunately an impact on his health. And uh, he had his second heart attack in 1995, which meant that he was not able to come into the office for a, an extended period. And when you take sort of the one individual who's making all the decisions, who's controlling every decision, and all of a sudden that person can't come to work every day, bad things happen. And so long story short, that's what brought me to Dallas in 1995. And the great news was that we, you know, he, we had a really good team and I was able to come in and tap into their, all of their capacities and skills. And we pretty quickly were able to turn the business around. But 1995, we had 3 million in revenue and I think we lost $600,000. So, I mean, it was, it was a very challenging period, but as I mentioned, we were able to 
turn it around. And, you know, my dad was able to come back to work a couple days a week. But essentially, really from that period until he died, he and I worked together, but he was he was probably at about 50%. Okay. And what I found, you know, my leadership style is quite a bit different from my dad's. And I'm not sure the the company was going to be able to continue to grow and flourish if one person is sort of controlling everything. And so I had a little bit different philosophy. And, you know, since since the mid-90s, we've been building on that. I'm just sitting here grinning about so many things. So I'm wondering about people who are either that first generation entrepreneur in the startup phase, because your dad essentially, even though the business was started in 1921, he restarted it in 1982. He restarted it in 1982. Absolutely. With the character traits that are so important at startup and that, you know, there's that saying, the founder's trap. And I think it was Adizis that, that coined that. And I'm going to put some links in the show notes for the Adesis corporate life cycle, because that's exactly what you're describing and how beautiful and how lucky it was for PCI that you had a different skill set, which is exactly what was needed for the company in its life cycle. So yeah. that you couldn't have planned that any better. Yeah, I mean, the the opposite probably wouldn't have worked. I don't, you know, honestly, candidly, I'm not sure to start a new venture. I'm not sure that's necessarily my skill set. And, you know, I'm not sure my dad's skill set and kind of taking that business to the next level. I'm not sure that was in his. So you're right. It was kind of a happy coincidence. Yeah, that's great news. And is there anyone else from the family now that's in the business? Well, it's my sister and I, so I, I have one sibling, and she did work for PCI for a period of time. She was one of our top salespeople, but you know, as her family was growing up, her choice was essentially not to work. She didn't want to travel, and so today it's really just me in the business. She does have an ownership stake, but uh, she's not active in the business. Okay. Okay. So before we go into the culture and the passion that you have around that, because I think once we go there, we're not coming back to some of these more tactical questions. But yeah, sure. So paint a picture too of your employee base and what kind of growth that you've had since 1982. Right, right, right. So starting in 1982 with, with essentially zero revenue, um, from, eight, yeah, from 82 to 95, we had, or my dad and the team had grown the business from zero to $3 million in revenue. And then I joined in 1995 and it's actually interesting. So I came in and I mentioned we had a good team and I had some ideas and we can talk about culture and all that, but we were able to grow the business to about 10 million in revenue, consistently profitable, grew every year. And then you mentioned disruption. I mean, we went through a very difficult period in sort of the 2006, 2007, 2008, where we went from about 10 million in revenue down to 6 million. And that was very, very difficult, very, very challenging. That was really white knuckle time. But since then, uh, since about, let's say, 2008, 2009, we were 6 million in revenue. We went to 12 million. Then we went to 18 million in revenue. And then three years ago, we purchased, acquired, merged with our competitor. And since then, then we went from 18 to 24 million to 34 million to 45 million oh last year. Goodness. And this year, we're, we're pushing hard to hit 50. 
Congratulations. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. And we can talk about the merger, which we call a merger, not an acquisition. I mean, we, I, I really think language is important. And mm. anyway, that was a transformative event for our company. And there's some really interesting lessons learned there for sure when we get there. So where are your employees based? I know you're here in North Dallas, but you have employees everywhere. Yeah. So we kind of one thing that we, again, I think we think language is important. So we don't use the word employee. We use the word associates. Thank you. We don't use the word customer. We use the word client. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an old English political science major. So, but I do think, you know, what we call things. So we're And again, we can talk about this too. I mean, we take a lot of phone calls, 8,000 phone calls a day, but we don't have a call center. We have an inside sales center. And again, I think those things are important because they set a tone. So we have, we actually have five locations. We were headquartered here in Dallas. We have a total of about 350 total associates. So about half of those, let's say 175, give or take, are in Dallas. Then we have, I mentioned, we have merged with, acquired our competitor. They have, they had offices in Virginia Beach, as well as San Antonio. So we've got significant numbers of folks there. And then we started a division in Arkansas, in Little Rock. And we also have a software development team in Guadalajara, Mexico. So there are five total locations. And so let's just jump right into culture as well. You have, starting in 2011, have year over year or consistently achieved best place to work in Dallas, best place to work in Texas. There was one time when you were actually number one, and I think that was a best place in Texas for a mid-sized company. Twice. Twice, Okay. So yes, that's part of that website that hasn't been updated, I think. Yep. (laughs) So amazing culture. And what's fascinating to me too, is that it was after this down period that you mentioned with the white knuckle, that when you came back, it seems like you came back in a very specific way. And the culture really, it, it feels like based on what you're saying, that the culture has really supported that growth and the success. For sure. In fact, actually to go back to coming out of that very difficult period, I'm convinced, I'm certain that we would not have made it through that, actually, were it not for our culture. And culture is great. I mean, right now we're, you know, on top of the world, so to speak. I mean, things are going quite well and culture is great. It's a huge driver, but it's during those difficult periods, I think, when culture is just critical. I, I think it's very hard for an organization to make it through those types of challenging periods if there's not a strong culture, because that's that's a key thing, I think, that people believe in and they want to stick around and they want to fight it out and get to the other side. And without that, I think it would be incredibly hard. So it goes actually beyond or or before that period that we've come out. But as we have come out and going through that very challenging testing period, I think we got even clearer on who we were, what we believe in, what our purpose is, what our values are, how we treat our clients, how we treat each other. All of that, you know, became very crystallized, if you will, during that challenging period. Hmm. So it's like you that there was a crucible 
that the company went through during that time and the fact that you held on to your values and maybe even leaned on them even more during that time really has resulted in this. It's almost like an indomitable culture just can't well, be broken. You never take any, never <laughs> ever take anything yeah. for granted. Right. And, and, and the truth yeah. is, I mean, Yesterday is yesterday, and today is today, and tomorrow is tomorrow. I mean, by which I mean, you've got to earn it every day. And I think, again, we can talk about, I'd love to talk about some of the different elements that make up a culture, but you've got to earn it every day. What's the, you know, I think there's a Warren Buffett quote that, you know, it takes 30 years to build a reputation and 15 minutes to destroy it. So it's certainly nothing to ever take for granted. But Absolutely. It's, a, it's, it's been a key part of our winning formula, I think, here at PCI. So let's start talking about the elements of culture that you're pointing to. I'm also curious. So you have what you call the five. Did you have the five, which you can describe for us, before your white knuckle period? Had you already defined those? We did. Uh, now, Okay. We call it the five. That's relatively recent, just as a way to try to simplify, if you will, or what's really, mm-hmm. really, really important. But all of those elements were part of, we didn't call them the five, but they were key elements mm-hmm. of our culture before we there. started. We organized them in this specific way. And so are these the things that you think are key elements to a culture, yeah, these five? I think there, okay. there are two kind of equally important tracks, I think, to building a culture. So we have the five, we have these five elements, and then we have five values. So, and we call it the five by five. But, and uh, hmm. in, in, in many of these, those, those of people who are listening or familiar with conscious capitalism, we're relatively new to kind of the conscious capitalism movement, but there's incredible alignment around sort of the key elements that conscious capitalism puts forward and kind of the key elements of our culture. It starts with purpose, which is above and beyond the way we define it, above and beyond making money. What difference do we make in the world? And our purpose is is very straightforward. We inspire dreams and transform lives. And what we mean by that is through the work we do, strengthening our nation's universities, service organizations, and high schools, we quite literally make it possible for them to inspire dreams and transform lives. Mm -hmm. We also actually... We also, the purpose is both external and internal, and our goal as an organization is to inspire the dreams and transform the lives of myself and all of you know, my colleagues. So it starts with purpose. That's, that's key. The next kind of key, key element is our values. We have five values. And, mm. and again, you know, Jim Collins in that great book, Built to Last, makes the clear point that it's not so much, it's not having the quote unquote right values. It's about having values and then living to them or or behaving Mm -hmm. according to them, acting in alignment with them. You know, our values are around excellence, unlocking human potential, being a, a learning and growth organization is something that just It's the most important thing to me professionally. I think that's such a key thing. Acting with integrity. We say innovate a culture of relationships and fun. It's all about people. Life is about people. Business is about people. And finally, leading with a servant's heart. We are a 
a long time servant leadership organization. And I'm just passionate about the power of servant leadership and the impact it, it has, you know, within an organization and on people's lives. So so we have our purpose. I mentioned inspiring dreams, transforming lives, our values. Then we have a vision, which is sort of 10 years off on the horizon. As you mentioned, Leanne, we've been on multiple kind of best places to work, actually, most recently. So right now, we've been on the Texas 100 best companies to work for for five consecutive years. I mentioned the merger acquisition. We've been on the best companies to work for in Virginia for two years. And we were just named actually the number one company to work for in the state of Arkansas, which we're thrilled about also. And again, all that (laughs) is based on anonymous associate surveys. So it's not what I think or such and such senior leader thinks. It's all about what is you know, what do my colleagues think? What do, what do people really think about working here? So, but it is interesting, I will say, yeah. And, 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 and again, for us, being a great place to work is our business strategy. We believe mm-hmm. that happy associates equal happy clients, right? I mean, think about the inverse of that. I mean, if you're working with someone at an organization of somebody who really doesn't like their job, you know, how's that experience going to go, right? So happy associates equal happy clients equal happy company because what do happy clients do? Well, they buy more stuff. They tell their friends, you know, good things happen, right? And a smart, thriving organization invests in its associates who take care of the clients who benefit the organization. I mean, it's truly one of those win-win-wins. There's not a trade-off. So anyway, uh, but I was going to say, You know, interestingly, in that 2011, the first recognition we got as a great place to work was here in Dallas. And it's interesting, just to be totally um, frank, we did not make the uh, best companies to work for list in Dallas this most recent year. And so anyway, there's always, we could talk about that perhaps, but, you know, again, never take anything for granted and you got to earn it every single day. So. Bouncing around a little bit, but our vision, our vision is to be on the Fortune Fortune magazine does a hundred best companies to work for in the United States. That's our real vision, our 10-year vision. We kind of filter, we try to filter every decision we make through that. Does this help us achieve that long-term goal? And then we call it our goal. You know, what are we trying to achieve? Every client should be referenceable. That's our goal every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then our commitment, how do we achieve that goal is to deliver a wow experience to our clients and each other. Mm-hmm. So purpose values, vision, goal, commitment. That's the five right there. That's the five. Okay. Gotcha. Last week, you and I were on a call for a different topic. And I learned about the amount of rigor that you put into your day personally, and that you've brought into PCI. And that gets animated through rhythms, goal setting, checking in. And so Let's real quick talk about your own daily rigor that you shared with me last week and then how it translates into the business because I suspect there's a strong connection between that rigor and the culture that you're able to maintain. Yeah, that's another topic I'm just super, (laughs) super passionate about. And um, I mean, long story short, it may have been Rand Stegen where I heard this. But this whole idea that structure sets you free, right? You think, what? No, structure sets you free. 
And it allows, once you have, I mean, you meant that word rhythm, once those kind of things are happening, and I'll sort of give a few details here in a minute, but once you've kind of set up, I mean, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually, whatever, I mean, these sort of things that are going to happen, you no longer have to think about setting it up. Oh, uh, I've got a, maybe I should set up a, <laughs> a strategic planning session. You know, okay, what do we, you know, you've already decided we're going to have an annual strategic planning session. It's going to happen this year. It's going to happen next year. It's going to happen the year after. I mean, <laughs> it's already been decided, right? And so structure is is such a liberating thing, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so in my personal life, I mean, one of, I'm a big, you know, Stephen Covey, Tony Robbins, all, I mean, all, all the greats, right? And one thing many of them talk about is this idea of a morning ritual. There's a great book called The Morning Miracle that outlines a great process for this, actually. That was our, we do a reading discussion group every year here at PCI, a voluntary one that I lead. And last year we did the morning miracle. But, and essentially, so every morning I try to get up at 5.45 or 6 and I have, it's about an hour and 15 minutes. I get up, I do some sit-ups and push-ups. First thing I do when I get out of bed every morning, uh, I've been doing this for six or seven years, push-ups and sit-ups. And I do a meditation try to do 20 minutes. Uh, sometimes it's 10. Then I read the Bible. I'm a strong believer. So I read the Bible and I pray. And then the last thing I do is I journal. And I journal very specifically about my goals for this year. So I have kind of a process I've developed over time where I have 10 goals, some personal, some professional. And every day, I try to journal about those goals. It's all about keeping it front of mind and what's in the way. And anyway, it's about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And I, I do that darn near every day. Sometimes if time is compressed, I'll leave out. I don't always do all five things, but but many days I do. And so on your best day, one of the things that you told me last week, Drew, that tickled me is that in your journaling, you said, even if you don't journal about it, you at least write them down yep. again. Exactly. If that's all you have time for. You at least write them down. So you have a touch point Bingo. every single day. Yeah. I, I want for me, those 10 goals I've defined this year, these are the 10 things I'd like to accomplish. And exactly, even if I don't have time, most of the time, I have at least time to write down what they are. Um, and again, it's all about just priming, right? Priming yourself, priming myself, because turns out <laughs> life is busy. There's stuff coming at us all the time. And so I think that's why it's important to just touch base in the morning before I start my day, before that sort of onslaught of calls and emails and texts and responsibilities and da, 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 da. da. Right, these, I've defined these as the 10 most important things this year. So let's at least just touch base on them. How long have you been doing this morning ritual? Well, it's it's gotten better over time, but probably seven or eight years. Was it hard for you to get in a groove? Was it hard when you got started? Yeah, almost, it's impossible. It feels like, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> no, this is not, you know, no, you have to work. You have to really work on it. And the Morning Miracle book talks about this too. And if you can do it for about either 21 days, 30 days, you almost have to, it's, it's literally forcing yourself because, you know, like everybody else, I like my sleep. It's not, but now six, seven years later, I mean, I'm, this is just how I roll. I, I don't, it's not hard anymore, but it was, <laughs> it was super hard initially. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so what are the rhythms 
that you have rituals, rhythms that you have at PCI? I mean, this is, so I mentioned kind of the two lanes, if you will. So, and I think Leanne, you'd mentioned Jim Collins. What does he call it? The core ideology. So that would be core kind ideology. of the, yeah, these, the five, if you will, kind of, this is what we think is important. This is where we want to go as an organization. But the other piece is this kind of rigor. And so I have been impacted by Vern Harnish, the Rockefeller Habits. We recently started doing something called, or two years ago, called the Entrepreneurial Operating System, which Mm -hmm. some some listeners may have heard of. A guy named Gino Wickman put that together. Mm -hmm. EOS. Um, EOS, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but for many years, even before we did EOS, so we have, well, the first thing we do is we have a stand-up meeting for all of our operations people. So this 75, 80 people. And we bring people in from all our locations for this meeting. And we do it every day. It used to be called the 10 at 9, 10 minutes at 9 o'clock. We actually moved it up to 8.30, so it's not quite as catchy. Um, and that was uh, <laughs> the 10 at 8.30 Central, 10 at 9.30 Eastern. Because <laughs> Anyway, it's a mouthful. But I read, and again, you just going back to Jim Collins, specifically built to last, one of the things he says in there is, you know, try a lot of things and keep what works. And that's very much been our strategy. So, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I read an article somewhere about some organization was having a 10-minute stand-up meeting. And I thought, well, let's try it. It's ended up being a, just a cornerstone of our culture. It's been so successful in you know, many organizations, PCI before the, the 10 at 8.30, you have silos, right? And accounting does accounting stuff and project management does project management stuff and inside sales. Does, I mean, and what happens with this daily meeting, a 10-minute 10, 10 meeting, and I'm happy to share our agenda. Maybe you could do a link to it. Um, yes, again, there's, no, there's nothing Thank magic you. about the agenda. We change it over time. But each department has rotates. They have two minutes to talk about something that department is working on. But it's even more than that. It's just being in the same space. And we go over, we start with the five. <laughs> uh, we go over the five. Then we go over key metrics. We are big on transparency. I mean, it is what it is, what it is. We try to share everything, as much information as we can across the organization. So every day we go over the key metrics. Then we do this expanded news that I mentioned is two minutes. It rotates. But the most important part of that meeting is recognition and allowing peers to recognize other peers for living our values. That's a key, key thing. And uh, kind of a funny story, this was probably 10 years ago now, but we had a new person who had joined the team, a senior level person. And, you know, the 10 at 830 had probably gone 20 or 25 minutes and we're walking out of there. And he said to me, he goes, golly, you know, 15 minutes of recognition. And I said, say the guy's name, but I was like, we'll stay in there all morning. If we, if people want to recognize <laughs> other people for living our values, I mean, I hope it goes 25 minutes every day. No, it doesn't. But anyway, the point is recognition is critical. So anyway, that's, we have a daily standup. We have a daily CEO council. It's kind of a eight or nine top leaders. We have a huddle. We have a weekly CEO council. That's from EOS called the L10 level 10 meeting. We have a monthly extended leadership team meeting. It's called the Trailblazers meeting, kind of about 75 or 80. Anybody who manages a project, a client relationship, a team, 
And that's really all about learning. That That's the key thing mm-hmm. there. We have a quarterly business. We call it not the big company. So we do not the typical quarterly business meeting in every location. Twice a year, I meet with, we call it a skip level lunch, where I meet with every team twice a year without their manager, any managers being present, just me and them. We do an annual strategic planning meeting. And all of these, and there's more, I'm leaving some things out, I know, but like it's, you know, these daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual, these are going to happen. And this is how we really drive our culture. And so it's, again, that core ideology, but then what's the process through which you bring it to life inside the organization? That is fantastic. I will say that the third element, I think, of being a great place to work is courage because it is great to have values. It's really important to have values, but you've got to live by those. And a story here from PCI, and this was probably five or six years ago now, I mentioned these quarterly business meetings. And on a Monday morning, we recognized all of our top performers, but this gentleman was the number one salesperson at PCI for the prior quarter, right? And on Friday of that very same week, and I remember it because it was so jarring, we had to let him go. I mean, there was an integrity issue. And that's the key thing. It's, it, you know, it's great to have values, but you've, as leaders, it's not easy. It's not easy to let your best salesperson go. Trust me. You'd rather look the other way. You'd rather find a way. But that's the tough part. And I'm not saying we're perfect at this, by the way. Again, you got to earn it every day. And I, But that, that courage and, or alignment or consistency, whatever you want to call it, is just so, so, so important, I think. Well, it is. If people... If you want people to believe that you're serious about it, then you have to live it. And I've heard other stories like that. I have a friend of mine who was a major league baseball coach. And before he was that, you know, he made his way up through the minors. And at his wedding, someone stood up and told the story about he didn't lay his uh, his star player, or maybe a couple of them had broken curfew the night before, and they were in playoffs. And he benched both of them for the game, they lost. It was a huge lesson. And, you know, he just got so much respect from the team around his commitment to to the values and how the team was going to roll. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Like, and that, you know, again, it's as leaders, we just, just have to continue to remind ourselves of that because it's, that's critical. I want you to say something about this storytelling, this new offer that you all have that I kind of stumbled upon on your website. I think that's great. And as we're closing off here, I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to say anything else, point people in in a direction of your website, whatever it is that you want to tell people. Well, one thing that we're super excited about, I mean, if you last 100 years, right, you've got to continue to look for ways to... (laughs) Be innovative, new markets, new products, new offerings, new ways of operationally. In in our case, we think we've come upon a real need, a real opportunity, which is all around storytelling. Our business traditionally has been focused on helping our clients update their data, where someone lives, where they work, what's their email, what's their mobile phone, what's their spouse name, you know, da 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 da, all that type of information. And and we do that with excellence. We take 
tremendous pride in doing that. That's why we exist. We've identified a new related opportunity where in addition to that information, we're also capturing people's story. So for instance, uh, Purdue is our first kind of big, big university to sign up for this. And so beginning next month and for you know four to six months after that, we're going to be collecting Purdue alumni their stories about what was it about Purdue? Was it maybe something, you know, professionally that sent them in a certain direction? Maybe it was more on the personal side. Maybe they met their spouse while they were at Purdue or made lifelong friendships or, you know, capturing people's stories, which is such an empowering thing to tell your story for the university. It's just so valuable. I mean, to create that moment of engagement. So that's something, and we're kind of working through it from the operationally, the marketing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're, we're hardly all there, but it's something we're super, super excited about. I think it's fantastic. And just another example of how you are constantly learning and changing and innovating. And Drew, thank you so, so much for sharing your passion today. It's been so much fun to hear you light up as you talk about the company that you lead. Yeah, well, it's been a true pleasure. And I am, you know, I describe myself as a workplace culture enthusiast. So anyone who might be listening, if you want to connect or have ideas or want to learn more, I mean, I am, uh, it's one of the things I'm passionate about in life. So I'd love to connect with other workplace culture enthusiasts. (laughs) All right. That's a big invitation. All right. (laughs) All right, Drew. Thank you so very much. Really appreciate it. You bet, Leanne. Thank you. If you like what you heard today and the direction this podcast is pointed, subscribe to Rice Leaders Radio on iTunes, leave us a comment and a five-star rating. You can also check out the Rise Leaders website at www.rise-leaders.com to find the resources I pull from in my coaching and consulting work and that I find central to transformative leadership. If you're committed to leading with a clear vision and from core values and taking your team to the next level, then get in touch. You can reach me, Leanne Mallory, from my website. I'd be honored to hear from you. I appreciate you tuning in today and especially for being the type of person interested in learning more about how you can elevate your part of the world. Take good care. 